0: Coming up, the Brooklyn Nets cap off their homestand before heading to Paris by giving away a game to the bad Portland Trailblazers. We break down not only this one, but also the OKC matchup from Friday night. A tale of two games and maybe in the end, a story of a bad team. You are locked on Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ah, yes, my friends, it is the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. Over there is Doug Norrie. I'm Adam Armbeck. We thank you, as always, for making us your first listen of the day. We are 100% free on all those great platforms. And let you know this episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use promo code LOCKEDON for $20 off your first purchase. And Doug, 134-127, overtime loss at home for the Brooklyn Nets. And a classic case of two guys that should have done a podcast on a Friday. Well, we book,
1: we basically guaranteed this outcome for the last two games for the Nets on two very key decisions that we made over the weekend when it concerned content. Before the OKC game, we said, are we going to do a live? We said, now we'll take the Friday off and then we'll podcast Sunday after the game, Blazers. And that's just going to be the way it goes. The second we said we weren't going to get podcast after the Thunder game, guaranteed, Victor, should have been my entire life savings on that game. That's right. And then, the but the, the downside guarantee was the second we said we were going to go out to the Blazers game, guaranteed a loss. Did, wouldn't it matter? They could have played the Washington Generals in this game. The second, that we, the second that we said that we weren't doing that, that was all over Red Rover for this one. Brutal end to the weekend for the Nets. Just continues a theme, which is the worst kind of theme you can have as a basketball team which is you can't beat the bad teams. They've now lost to the Hornets. They've lost to the Wizards and they've lost to the Blazers. Those are three of the worst five basketball teams in, uh, in the NBA. They barely snuck out the second win against the Pistons and they haven't played the the Spurs yet. And the women, experience will be fun for this team. It's been a rough run. They cannot, they haven't won two consecutive games in a month. Uh, I don't count the Pistons games. So outside of those two, they haven't won two games in a month. And this overtime loss things because they had this game and they gave it away.
0: Yeah, they've lost now 11 out of their last 14 games, including the two games against the Detroit Pistons. And and I think this was, as we say, on a high level, we'll get into the fourth quarter sequences here that got away from the Nets, the overtime, just takeaways from this game, obviously, including Dayron Sharp. He goes down and leaves the game with an injury. We'll get into that at least at a high level, and then we'll get into it deeper over the course of the week when more information comes out. But, To your point about our our decision-making on not doing the podcast after OKC, but just that this team feels built for this. You come out on a Friday. It's a team that's good this year. OKC, there's some star power there. And you manage to hold on, have a big lead. Maybe you almost think about giving it away, but you get a clutch win. But they just can't seem to then take that and stack it on top of another good performance. Instead, this game where they never had a larger lead than 10, never felt like it was you know going to be put away at any point. Some good performances we'll discuss on an individual level. It's just at the point now where you can't trust this team to do the thing that on paper they should night in, night out. You can't trust them to be a good team is
1: what you're saying. I mean, you're like, you're saying it without saying it. You can't trust them to be a good team. They can't beat the bad teams. And we kind of just do a one little mini victory lap when they take out a Thunder team, which by the way, they were up a gajillion in that game and almost gave it away. Like they were up 30 plus in that game and tried their absolute darndest to give it away at the end. And basically, actually, if anything else, thankfully just time ran out, (laughs) right? Because that game was (laughs) headed for 60 minutes. Nets lose for sure. Oh, for sure. For five, Four more, four more minutes. Four they minutes. lose that game. Like if it was, if it was a 50 minute game, I really, I probably actually probably was a 50 minute game instead of 48 minutes. They lose because that was just the way that game was trending. And again, they were up 30 this game. Like you said, they were up 10 at one point, but you just, they could never just fully put away. They had chances to probably extend the leads at 13, 16 points, something like that and they just weren't able to do it and when they're not able to do it this team is not good enough to withstand kind of anybody coming back the other way that starts to feel like they can win right they don't they, they don't have a strong enough identity they don't, they still don't know who they even want to close with they close with a totally different unit this game which I actually was like fine with the move but yeah. it just points to sort of the problematic nature of what this team is right now they still don't really even know what their best combinations are, like what they should be doing on a night-to-night basis. Jacques Vaughn, I mean, we waited for five minutes here. Totally brutal run out of uh, challenges with timeouts, like basically allowing the Blazers to stay in the game, right? Like challenges a call, loses, Blazers retain a timeout. They use that to challenge the Dorian Finney-Smith save, which they win. And only have because they had challenged it because it was their only timeout they exactly, had remaining. Yep, exactly, exactly. So, and these are all just like these little things. When you stack all these little problems up, the Nets just aren't good enough to withstand this kind of stuff on a night-to-night basis. And we're seeing this now. And to give a game up like this to the Blazers at home, to lose to the Hornets at home, like to lose these games, it's frankly just embarrassing. I like I don't really know another word. These teams are like actively tanking and. They just can't, they just can't really sustain any sort of like winning. They can't just sustain any winning right now.
0: Yeah. And a big part of it for me too, at a high level across these two games, whether it's OKC on Friday, which you won, but again, defense has been such a theme for this team. You're up 30 plus points. And there's no safeguard against the idea that team's going to come back. And that's the nature of the NBA. Like we get it right. No lead is ever safe, but it's a theme now for this team. Likewise, tonight, again, it's a bad Portland Trailblazers team. The key stops, key moments, right? You can look across any of these games across the last couple of weeks and say, oh, there were some nice moments on the defensive end. There's nice moments on the offensive end. But this team, the Jock Vaughn, maybe, you know, key moments as well tonight, is the illustration of well, if it's not one thing, it'll be something else, right? If every if two things go right, a third thing will go wrong. This is not a team that goes check, 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 and now we'll live and die by our merits, having done everything correctly on our end. There is no opportunity for that. And as you mentioned there at the high level, this is not a team you can trust to be good on a game in, game out basis. Coming up here in a second, we'll illustrate. What exactly went wrong starting in about the fourth quarter of this game against the Portland Trailblazers into overtime and some of the sequences that again continue to stick out around this Nets roster? We'll dive in in just one moment. All right, going to make myself feel better here, but talking about our good friends over at
1: game time when it comes to buying tickets the thing you want to have happen. You just want this experience to be super easy. If you're going to the game, you're going to the concert, you're going to the comedy special, going to the play, whatever it is, you want the ticket buying experience to be easy and actually cost effective. So, you can get on your way and go to the thing you actually want to do. This is where game time comes in and has you totally covered. You can see the seats. You see the view from the seats where you're going to sit down. You're going to get those last minute tickets. You're going to get the flash deals. You're going to get the zone deals. It's easy to find and buy tickets for every kind of event in the area. Lowest price guaranteed. They got events cancellation protection, job loss protection. Go try to find this stuff on other ticketing apps. It's not going to happen. All you have to do to get in on the best deals that game time has to offer, you download the game time app. You create an account, use the code LOCKED ON, just like our podcast network, for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem the code LOCKED ON for $20 off. Download game
0: time today. Last minute tickets, lowest prices guaranteed. All right. So, as we discuss now, getting a little bit more into this game 134, 127, overtime loss to the Portland Trail Blazers. And yeah, in overtime, you pretty much saw it wasn't going to go that right way. Maybe a nod to old man Brogdon doing some damage. But this game, as we said there at the start, where the Nets were never more than a 10-point leader at this one, I came out of that third quarter saying, because they hit a couple of shots Portland, but it ends with uh, Dennis Smith Jr. getting to the line, knocking down a couple of free throws, makes it an eight-point lead. And I go, okay, like that's kind of what you want. Let's not have this be a, a two-possession game. It's a three-possession game. You're going to have to work for it, bury him in the fourth. Starting at the fourth quarter, though, Brooklyn led 93-85, a 23-8 to run from Portland, made it 108-101 at the 440 mark. Like They come back in this game, they get to overtime, and there's moments from Mikhail Bridges, but the idea that you can be in a game that you are up eight against a bad team and come into the fourth quarter and sleepwalk for essentially the first six minutes, seven minutes of the quarter it's borderline inexcusable and whether it falls to Jock Vaughn and decision-making rotations or the individual play, this is a game where you got good performances from guys and everyone just effectively shut it down in the fourth quarter. Like giving up that kind of run when you are up going into the fourth, it's brutal. I mean, and again, this is a tenant of a bad team. So I shouldn't be shocked by it right now because they're on a really bad run. And it's just like all the signs that you have major problems defensively. Like so,
1: the way this, the ways that Portland scores, they only score in three ways. Now, this is kind of like you know in 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 tune with the modern NBA, in line with the modern NBA, but still, it's like the Portland Trailblazers who you know, admittedly, have some guys in this team, right? Simon's yeah. good player, Shaden Sharp, good player, Brogdon, we know, um, Jeremy Grant. Like there are. This isn't like just a you know a, a bum brigade over here, but all their points essentially in the fourth quarter during this thirty to twenty two run where they just overtook. And then that's where kind of scrambling to even kind of get it to overtime. Right. Yep. It was all threes, like sort of rhythm threes. some tough looks, but some rhythm threes at the rim yep. or at the line, all their points. Like, I, I'm pretty sure like all 30 of their points were of that, were of those three kinds. I, I I'm maybe a couple points here or there, but it was all just, you know, Simons or Brogdon or sharp threes, those guys finishing at the rim or the Nets just fouling those guys, and those guys just hitting free throws. And, you just can't win. Like any, really, any team that has any talent at all. If this is like sort of what you're going to do to safeguard against the e- the worst kinds of baskets, which are the easiest ones at the rim or at the foul line, or the most high leverage ones, which are the threes, you just are just going to be behind the eight ball the whole time. And this has been an identity problem for the Nets all season. They can't stop guys at these like two, three areas. I mean, that maybe not as much on the fouls, but for sure at the rim. And for sure for threes, like we've seen, you know, the Hornets did this against them too. They just knocked down threes. And once you start letting these teams, even the bad ones, kind of get into rhythm and feel like they can just make everything,
0: yeah. well,
1: then you're, you're allowing the Blazers to shoot 53% from three, yeah. right? Like yeah. all of a sudden, and then good luck. Like, like, what do you want me to say? Good luck beating these teams. You're just not going to be able to do it. Again, kind of lucky to even get to overtime, right? The bridges, may we'll talk about bridges too in a second, but yeah. the bridges, nice bridges make, You could tell it was clean right from his hand. We were watching the game together. We're both like, it's in. Like right when he let it go, it was like very good look. Lucky to even get there. Like lucky to even force the overtime. And so this is just, it's just endemic of what's been their major issues all year. When you can't stop the best shots and the easiest shots, you are going to struggle. And you're going to struggle to have
0: consistency game to game, which is again, the thing that we continue to see with this team. Brogdon and Sharp, as you mentioned, there are combined seven of twelve from beyond the arc, doing a lot of the damage in the key moments, specifically. Brogdon, obviously. And you say there, you know, getting to overtime on Mikhail Bridges. But the big thing here, too, but just before we get to him specifically, and why this is actually another bad sign for this team in this game. Oh, terrible. Is when you talk about when you talk about all of a sudden you start running cold. The transi- transition defense for Brooklyn is just atrocious. They, they, they get frantic, they get chaotic, they lose their marks, and it's wide open threes, right? And, and we know that once a team starts to run hot, it just feels like it's a ball rolling downhill and you can't get a stopgap and try to get yourself going back the other direction. Now, that being said, they did, after that bad run to start the fourth, and after going down, claw their way back and get a perfect, The, the what would probably go down as like the iconic McHale Bridges type of shot, right? Works into the middie, just off the elbow. You know what's going in the second it leaves his hands, and they get to overtime. But what's more alarming about a game like this is using that kind of as the microcosm. Bridges plays 44 minutes, 15 of 26, four of eight from deep, eight of eight at the line. Gave you a 42-point performance. Nicholas yeah. Claxton had a strong game, kicking in 11 rebounds and 16 points from the floor as well. We'll get, I think, to Cam Johnson in a little bit of a different vein here, but if you're going to now have, when Mikhail Bridges has big scoring nights, Still end up losing games. That's a different level. When he when he's struggling from the floor, you go well. You can't win if Mikhail's not going to score. Well, now he is scoring, and you're still losing. That's a whole new set of problems. Yeah, I like yo.
1: Know, so for starters, getting 42 from Mikhail here, where he's been really struggling. Right, like right. he's been struggling for a while now, to the point where we're kind of like, hey, this has been. I said it the other day. It had gone. He had gone. He had scored more than 22 points one time in the last 15 games. Like he just hadn't been scoring at all. And even in like the win against OKC, he was not amazing. Like they kind of won, I would say, in spite of what he did in, in that game. Right. Mm-hmm. So they finally get this game, you know, 71% true shooting for the field. Like kind of like the exact game we've been waiting for, like something we got sort of used to over the course of the end of the year last year. Right. Like where it was just kind of like he was, I don't know, a really efficient, really, really good scorer. when they get this game and still lose. It's like. Well, is anything going to go right here? <laughs> because right, it finally happens for him. That really, what that is, what it is. It's like I, I okay. kind of, I know, no, no and, I look, agree and, with you. It's just and and, I, and and just and you know, to be fair, we're we're wiping the Thunder win off the map, and that should count for something, right? They did beat the Thunder. That's a big win. The Thunder, a really good team, right? And. Mm-hmm. It's a a shame sort of what happens in the NBA timeline for things to kind of work out this way. Because had we done a podcast following the Thunder game, the mood would have been totally different. I don't think we would have been doing like the it's fixed train here, but the mood clearly would have been different. But again, it's a reminder that sometimes it doesn't take much to go either way. And the Blazers loss is much more indicative of like the long term than maybe the blip that was the Thunder win. Right. And so then you get this Mikael Bridges Bridges, uh, game, you combine it with Claxton's game. If you combine the two of them, there was 76% true shooting from the field. Like you get these hyper efficient games from these two guys, two key starters, and to still lose is so brutal. So maybe you want an indictment on the rest of the guys, or maybe it's just that they they can't put all the pieces together for long stretches. But yeah, they finally got the Bridges thing and it's like, it didn't matter.
0: And it's one of these re- weird, rare occasions where the Nets outshot the Blazers overall from the floor. When you get to the three-point shooting, you mentioned at 53% for the Blazers. Now, sometimes you look at the box and you go, well, if a team's going to take 38 attempts from deep and they're going to knock down 20 of them, listen, you're going to lose those nights. But then when you're watching the game, you feel like the the opportunity to impact those shots could have been there and Brooklyn never does them. But it's not like an egregious night in any statistical category. Again, that's why this one feels alarming. You win in a lot of key ones. You, you are have, you have the assist category, 29 assists for the Brooklyn nets on 46 made field goals. Like, the movement, the ball rotation. We'll talk about Dennis Smith Jr. here as well over the course of this. Big one for me, like the turnover category. That's how bad teams stay in games when you have 16 of those and they converted that into 13 for Portland, obviously. And then you talk about, (laughs) you said things going at the rim there in that fourth quarter, which they did for Portland as well from outside. 62 points in the paint for Brooklyn. 62 to 38. They outscored in the paint the Portland Trailblazers. Now, the the, the dichotomy of them taking more triples obviously is going to skew that number. But when you sometimes, when you look at key categories and see these margins of victory for the Brooklyn Nets, you're you're shocked to find out that they ended up losing a game. Now, this is tight, it goes down to the wire, it takes overtime, but this is a game, 10-point largest lead at any point. It should have been going away at some point. This should have been 15 points midway through the fourth and kind of taking the life out of a bad Portland team. Young players still developing. It should have been easy to say no. It's, it's going to go our way now, and instead, the next actually made a handful of bad plays, a couple of mistakes. Cam Johnson getting blocked, going to the rim, and Portland just absolutely going hellfire from deep. Right, like it. it I, I will just reiterate, going long-winded, that you make the good point of if you look back at the OKC game, they give up a, a massive lead but still get the win. It this isn't the sky is falling. But I think it is defining what this team is and what they are is inconsistent and unreliable, regardless of matchup. Yeah, didn't make a three for the whole fourth quarter. The Nets didn't, not right?
1: And, and and Cam Johnson misses a great look, sort of like late, late, in, late in the game. We could talk about that a little bit, but like, and yeah, if you're not going to make a three for the whole fourth quarter, I, again, you're just going to struggle here. And look, there's high variance with this stuff. You, you live by the three, die by the three. I get it. Um, it, it's just w- the way the NBA is sort of built and how the nets have been specifically built this year. Like they, yeah. and, and I'm all, by the way, all for the strategy. Like they don't really have some of the skill guys or downhill guys, um, or just overall ball creation to live in a world where they don't shoot a lot of threes. They have to actually just do this. And I, so I'm, I'm all for embracing the variance there and I understand it, but I also understand that like, this is the downside to it too. Like this, the downside is if you're not going to do it, they don't really have the the way to make up
0: <laughs> like yeah, if, it's, it's, if it's not working and that's will go do okay. the other thing. We don't have another thing, right? This is it. Or, or often we're going to fall on our swords here. Exactly. Coming up in a, uh, in a second here, I want to get to Cameron Johnson cause I kind of call, I called a bit of a look here while Doug and I were watching this game together tonight that pretty much came to fruition. Dennis Smith jr. Some new lineup looks and closing lineups that we saw from Jock Vaughn and the nets. What does it mean in the short term before the Brooklyn nets head off to Paris and what will be. An interesting week ahead, I would say, at minimum, for the Nets. We'll get into that here in just one second. All right, before we do that,
1: talking about our friends over at FanDuel, NFL regular seasons wrapping up. Still time to get in the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook playoff around the corner. Right now, new customers on FanDuel are going to get $150 in bonus bets, guaranteed when you place just a $5 bet. It's 150 bucks in bonus bets, win or lose on that $5 bet too. So you get that $5 bet in, win or lose, you're grabbing 150 bucks in bonus bets. You can use that for everything on the site. They have all the player props. They have the same game parlays. You can find the explore tabs. You can find different bets. You can find the parlay hub where you can see what a bunch of other people are putting in on those popular parlays. It's all there for you over on FanDuel. Visit FanDuel.com slash on. Make your first bet and lay up FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. All
0: right, so before we go to Paris, not us, the Nets are. Doug and I thought about it. We're going to do a little weekend, you know, getaway, but then we decided to go ahead and stick it out here. Stateside, the Brooklyn Nets who lost 134-127 in overtime to the Portland Trailblazers. Now in overtime, Cameron Johnson did hit an above the break three that, that was clutch and mattered and was helping the winning effort. However, Before we get to Dennis Smith Jr., when you and I were watching this together, I said it earlier, when I was like, you know, when you think about Cameron Johnson, you just don't think about his points coming in really critical moments when it matters. He kind of cobbles together 15 or so points in a given game, and by the end of it, the numbers, the box score probably looks better than his actual impact on the game. And then I called it on that wing shot, Doug, in the fourth quarter, and it was like, hey, here's a moment where they could bury Portland and get out of here with the win in regulation and I said, this guy's never met a clutch shot that he couldn't want less. And it, he barely kissed the rim on that. This is also a come down to earth moment with Cameron Johnson. And we've discussed him at length as well. You can't rely on him or or a lot of players, to be, to be fair, to come up in these key big moments. It's why you end up in overtime in this game, kind of looking around for who's going to be the clutch guy, maybe a little bit in this instance beyond McHale.
1: Yeah, look, it's just been an underwhelming season all around. Like, it's been, like, fine, I think. And I think, like, with Cameron Johnson, it's been one of these situations where it's been fine, the expectations were higher, mm-hmm. but he probably just is who he is at this point. And, like, he can't play huge minutes, right? he still has playing fewer than 30 minutes a game. The scoring's down, right? Down to lower, fewer than 15 points a game. The shooting is up over his career 42 from three so he's been better um he's not getting to the line he doesn't get to the line anymore right it's just kind of there he's a dude i don't know he's like it's not it just isn't what the expectation level was when they made him i don't even want to call it a big signing because it's not like the money was crazy but it's it's just it just has it's just been the same and and sometimes the same can be underwhelming and that's like the unfortunate thing with paying, getting guys the next contract and making guys like sort of important faces of the team and stuff like that is that like Cameron Johnson's probably not too different than he's been for the course of his career, except that the expectations shifted a little bit and then it feels worse. <laughs> right. And like, that's, yeah. that's the, it's an unfortunate thing. Like that's just the way sports work on, I, that's, I, I don't necessarily like it, but it's just is, it is what it is. And for his numbers to kind of dip here, is not what we thought was going to happen. We thought it's like, okay, you're going to sign him to this, you know, longer deal again, not crazy money. It's not, it's not max player money or anything like that. It's, you know, it, it's, it's a fair deal. I think the deal is fair, but it's, but I think the the whole thing was like, you know, these are going to be, the, these two guys are going to kind of carry this team. And that's just not the case with him. It's just, he's just a guy I like,
0: And you know what it is too, man? That
1: feels harsh. I don't mean to be it like that. It's just, it's just not, it's just, there's been nothing, nothing has jumped off the page for you about Cameron Johnson at all this season, right? Like there's been a single moment that's been like, Oh, nice. I, I don't know. It's just been kind of there.
0: No, and think no, and think about um the overtime sequence. They call a timeout, they're gonna do the inbounds play. The play is drawn up well, and it gets it to Cameron Johnson. And what happens? Jeremy Grant from behind just absolutely stuffs him trying to go to the rim. Now, on the one hand, you say yeah, it's a good basketball play, but the idea is to your point, Mikhail and Johnson, hey, they're supposed to carry a lot of what this team needs this season. And you just look at these and you feel like, no. It's just not going to always be available specifically with Cameron Johnson. You have to lower those expectations. And the quickly footnote on that is just the money's fine. The contract's fine. But when you're the Brooklyn Nets, or if you're fans of Nets and Nets, you look and go, so that's just money committed to a guy. Now it's money committed to the guy for a team that, that has a lot of financial restrictions, at least over the next short-term year. That being the case, let's end on some positive notes here. Not only uh, we're going to do, I think, mostly here at DSJ, but I, do, I will just highlight Nicholas Claxton was having a heck of a game in this one, defensively, offensively. He's on a bit of a run right now, where it looks like you're getting kind of the best version of him over these last handful of games. What that's going to mean, you know, for the Brooklyn Nets and for the deadline, we'll find out. We'll spend a little more time on him throughout the week. Dennis Smith Jr. though is a talking point here now, as clearly. He is the best point card option on this roster. Yes. Well, I mean, he's different. And I i
1: mean, it's so funny. So I think, okay. So the reason we're bringing this up is because Dennis Smith Jr. closed this game. This that is right. really the first time we've seen this. He And he played all of overtime. Now there's sometimes a rule where it's like, if you close the game, you start overtime. It's like this NBA rule. No one ever switches from it. It's kind of weird, but it's just like what people do, right? It's like the same thing as, oh, you get two fouls. And you have to come out no matter who you are, right? It's like these, <laughs> <kind of> silly, <laughs> these silly unwritten rules in the NBA. Yes. You just, oh, okay. You know, you have to come out. Whoever closes regulation almost always starts over time. I think I've never really seen it different. Maybe there's a like one or two examples. It's so rare, so rare, Um, which makes sense. Like that's a that team you thought was going to close. Anyway, long story short, Dennis Smith Jr. plays a ton in the fourth quarter, closes this game, mm-hmm. which basically start the same starting lineup, except replacing Spencer Dinwiddie with DSJ. And this was a lineup that we had said probably deserved to get at least a nod as a possibility for a starting lineup. He can get downhill. He can run some pick and roll. The shooting's not great, but if you're like, well, if it's three other shooters around him, he can see so like the, you know, it's like, Oh, it's not a floor spacer, but it, but it's not like not a floor spacer in the way that De- Ben Simmons wasn't a floor spacer where he's like not a floor spacer. And he doesn't want to get to the rim. Like DSG, right. DSJ poster, do uh, tonight, okay. Like
0: took a bank, he he took just, a bank, oop uh, from Royce O'Neal off the backboard, monster jam right. on the break. So he,
1: like, he will try to do those things. So we've thought about this. It the, the results here weren't great. I mean, DSG he was a minus nineteen in this game, so they yeah. kind of got rolled here in, in his minutes. But I think overall, conceptually, this does make sense to me, at least as a try. Only because it's not like the other options are blowing your doors off either. Like the Dinwiddie, that Dinwiddie starting five, that you know, net rating on it's fine, but it's not like some great lineup. The, the Cam Thomas thing, it doesn't seem like they want to go that way. And I'm not sure. I mean, maybe they should try that too. But I think overall, I would like to see more of this because I think he at least adds the point of attack defense and switchability with Claxton that should mm-hmm. pay dividends and he can do just enough on ball to get by. Do you agree with that? I mean, I wonder if they're going to start it next game, actually, after closing with it.
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, he plays 29 minutes tonight, including in the overtime. As you mentioned, he played 25 minutes on Friday against OKC in both of these games. 10 assists tonight, uh, 10 points. So a double double here got to the line four times. mentioned attacking and and only three of eight from the field only took one from beyond the arc. Didn't knock it down. But remember, 12 rebounds because of stylistically how you're playing that game against OKC. A double double with 13 points had two assists in each of uh, two steals. Excuse me. In each of these games, is he? the perfect model of what the Brooklyn Nets need? No, because guess what? They don't have, none of the guys are the perfect model, but I think that he offers two things. He offers a more, even when you watch Spencer Dimity and you and I defended him, I think, uh, you know, certainly a few times against the onslaught of, of what his game is and how bad quote unquote he is for this team. But Dennis Smith Jr. is a facilitator and table setter first when it comes to the offensive end. He has enough athleticism, enough drive, plenty of ups to get an attack downhill and hopefully set people up off of that. And then it's the defensive piece. He, he, he can do that. He can dig his heels and he can take on assignments. Will you get beat up on the size sometimes? Sure. But I think right now at this point, as we talk about the team, the losing streak that they're on, how could you not look at this and say, yeah, we give this some run? The biggest concern I think I have with him is just the health. And he oftentimes finds himself getting injured and missing games. So reliability might be a problem, but he, he to me gives you the best flexibility and probably elevates the other values around him more than a Spencer Dinwiddie does, or then not insulting his game right now than Cam Thomas does based on his style of play. I, I think that the one thing that will probably hold him back from making the change is they lost the game. I, I do wonder if they'd won the game and
1: closed with this lineup that if we'd be having a slightly, that, that they would really give a consideration. The fact that like they lost a ton of his minutes and they lost the game. Yep. I'm not sure is probably going to be enough to make this wholesale switch. I guess my thing is we had called for this, a uh, trying the starting lineup a while ago, and it was just interesting to see it actually put forth forward. Cause again, I think it does make sense. This result aside, I, I do think that this, you can piece together sort of a, a world where, this makes sense again. I don't think they're going to make the change this next game. Had they won and had this comeback or like whatever in the fourth, I think it'd be a different story. But sometimes it takes like the results oriented nature of it, uh, can make it a little easier. Okay, so a couple up, things, way, just
0: real quick. I just yeah. want to uh, let me just try this point home 49 points the Brooklyn Nets gave up in the fourth quarter and overtime combined to the Portland Trail Blazers tonight. So it's nice. a five minutes, they only play five minutes in overtime. You have 19 points.
1: I mean, the Blazers like a playoff team, but okay, well, yeah. whoops, no, no, they're not. <laughs> all right, so <laughs> um. Okay, couple of housekeeping things. We are going to wait here on the Dayron Sharp news. Obviously, tweak. I said tweak. I, it looked not great. Uh, looks like he maybe like hyperextended the knee. The way it bent back, not look good. And the way the trainer sprinted onto the court definitely didn't make you feel great about that situation. We will yep. wait to see on what happened uh, with Dayron. So we just we we want to talk about it. We just want to know definitively, sort of like what it is before we talk about it. I would expect at minimum he's going to miss some time here,
0: but we'll see. And also, Spencer Dinwiddie, just clarifying what happened here when uh, when Dennis Smith Jr. fouled out of this game, they went to Trendon Watford in that spot. Just interesting note, was not a lot of Dinwiddie down the stretch of this game either.
1: Yeah, so a bunch of stuff to talk about. They're making their way to Paris. It's a 2 p.m. game uh, coming up this week, but we have a bunch of off days here to kind of dissect what the Nets are going through. In the meantime, make sure you are subscribed over on YouTube Mm -hmm. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, too. Adam said it over there in the Twitter sphere, X sphere this week. Crested over 1.2 million listens and downloads this year. What a number, baby. Really glad to have everyone on board. So appreciative of everyone that's out there that's listening every day. We know there's a lot of you out there making Lockdown Nets your first listen. We really, really appreciate it. Let's keep it going in the new year, win or lose with the Nets. We're going to be coming at you every single day. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube YouTube and wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: It's always a struggle. It's an uphill battle the whole time. But you know what? The rewards are so great, I wouldn't trade it for the world. That is one, Jennifer from the block. Oh, the
1: all time great poets. We'll be back again tomorrow talking more Brooklyn and Basketball.